Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Fansided's national NFL insider, Matt Lombardo, and after just a wild and crazy NFL week one that saw the AFC West and the NFC West both go undefeated, we had a heck of a game on Thursday night setting the stage for week two. We're going to get into all of that, and we have a really exciting show on tap. We have Mark Schlereth breaking down all of his favorite tailgate foods, his tailgate menu, and the biggest storylines that he saw coming out of the first week of the NFL season. We'll chat with Baltimore Ravens practice squad wide receiver Devin Gray. He was there. He saw that heroic Monday night game between the Ravens and the Las Vegas Raiders, and what a thrilling finish that was. And that set the stage for a really wild and zany and crazy game in the NFC East to kick off week two on Thursday night football that I think you can draw some conclusions about the Washington football team and some major concerns brought to the fore for the New York Giants. But we're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more throughout the course of this show. But before we do, as always, just a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd really love it if you would go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms to the Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. You get two great NFL podcasts, two national NFL podcasts for the price of none. Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen on Tuesday, and of course the Matt Lombardo show every Friday 
And if you love the show, if you really enjoy it, if you can't wait for it to drop every Friday morning, then do me a favor. Go into the Apple Podcast Store, leave a five-star review, and in honor of Mark Schlereth talking tailgates, give me your favorite tailgate combination in the review. Let me know what you like about the Matt Lombardo show, what you don't like, and then the food item or the menu item that you must have at every tailgate. Now that we have that out of the way, what a night on Thursday night, and what a game, what a finish for the Washington football team, and we're going to get into a lot of the implications, not the least of which is Taylor Heineke's future and the Washington football team's future because of him, but I just have to say, the final five minutes of that game might be the absolute worst coached stretch of football that I've seen from any team out of Joe Judge's team, especially on special teams and Patrick Graham's defense. Look, all night long, and this is the second time in as many games that we've watched Patrick Graham's defense, a lot of people view Patrick Graham as a potential future head coach in the NFL, especially based on the Giants' success last season, what they were able to get out of their dominant defensive line. And after an offseason where they went out and they signed a Dory Jackson at cornerback, you had a Pro Bowl corner on the other side in James Bradbury. There was a lot of optimism about this Giants defense coming into the year. But after the season opener and again on Thursday night, you just watch as the Giants defense can't even breathe on the quarterback. I know that Aziz Ojolari picked up his second sack in his second career game. He sacked Taylor Heineke in the first quarter. But after that, Heineke had all day in the pocket. And the Giants defense for the second week in a row gave all kinds of cushion on the outside. Terry McLaurin catches a touchdown in the first quarter. He averaged 9.6 yards per reception. But the way that game ended for the Giants, the drive that was put together by Heineke, he had a big, he had a clutch third down completion to Adam Humphreys to move the chains. And then the wheels fell off for the Giants. They had to burn a timeout with under 30 seconds to play because they didn't have enough players on the field. And then Dustin Hopkins runs out on the field to kick a 48-yarder for the game winner, misses it, but Dexter Lawrence jumps offsides. That can't happen. That's inexcusable, and that's poor execution on Lawrence's part. But that's an undisciplined play for a coach and a coaching staff and a team that stresses disciplined football. Look, the Giants made all kinds of mistakes all night between the coverage scheme on defense between the drop pass by Darius Slayton in the end zone that would have put the Giants ahead maybe put the game out of reach and then Lawrence at the end of the game in the biggest moment jumping off sides that can't happen and the Giants are not talented enough to overcome those kind of mistakes but I don't know that you can make any really broad sweeping conclusions about the Giants or their trajectory after this game other than Patrick Graham better figure this out pretty quick. The Giants need to get more imaginative on offense, and they need to play more disciplined football. Those are the takeaways for the New York Giants, who, by the way, squandered what might have been Daniel Jones's finest performance as an NFL quarterback. He goes 22 of 32, 249 yards, a touchdown, adds nine carries, 95 yards as the game's leading rusher, rushes for a touchdown. Just a great all-around performance by Daniel Jones. And if you're looking for reasons to believe he's the quarterback of the future, pop this game tape in and rewatch it because that looked like a franchise quarterback. But more importantly, the Washington football team might have found their long-term solution at quarterback in Taylor Heineke. And again, I, I think that last year you can look at the Giants' defense as a top 15 unit in the league. I don't know that they're quite that good this year, but Heineke carved them up 
He showed all kinds of poise in the pocket. He goes 34 for 46, 336 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, a 99.5 passer rating. And maybe more importantly, he did something that Daniel Jones has done only twice in his career, and that was lead a fourth-quarter comeback game-winning drive. And he did it in his first regular season start. I look at what happened on Thursday night from a Washington football team perspective, and this is a team that over the next three years, we need to start talking about legitimately competing for Super Bowls. I think they're a step below the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're a step below maybe the Dallas Cowboys, but maybe not with all the injuries the Cowboys have. But in an NFC that's very wide open, save for the NFC West, which we're going to talk about in depth later in this podcast, Washington has to be considered in the upper echelon. You have arguably a top three defensive line in the league, and they made their presence felt. I know the Giants have one of the worst offensive lines in football, but Montez Sweat had a sack on Thursday night. Chase Young was consistently in the backfield Thursday night. He's as disruptive as it gets. They're both potential defensive player of the year candidates for multiple years. But if you can continue to build around a quarterback, and they went out and they bought a, a short-term Band-Aid in Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if you can build around a quarterback who's making less than $2 million a year over the next three years, and your nucleus already includes Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Terry McLaurin, and Antonio Gibson, and Jarek McKissick, who had a really clutch performance in his own right, five catches, 83 yards, four rushes for 10 yards and a touchdown. If that's your core today and you have all of the flexibility financially because you're not tied to a quarterback and you're not going to be tied for, to a quarterback for the foreseeable future, and you have Ron Rivera as a head coach, yeah, I think that this is a team that people need to wake up and pay attention to. And I know they let the Chargers off the hook, but the Chargers, they're a sleeper team in the AFC. It's a shame the Chargers have to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year and the Kansas City Chiefs twice a year, but they may be the biggest threat within the AFC West to the Chiefs. That's a good football team that Washington lost to in week one, and they respond in a, their first division game defending the NFC East title by punching the Giants in the mouth repeatedly and escaping with a 30-29 to 29 win. And again, that was as terribly coached a stretch as I've seen in the NFL in all my years watching the league and all my years covering the league. That was brutal on the Giants' part. But Washington took advantage. Heineke took advantage, and from a roster construction standpoint and with a head coach like Ron Rivera in place, I think they have a really bright future, and I think they're going to get a lot better from here. They're going to get better as this season rolls along, and they're going to continue getting better this year if Heineke continues to string together the kind of performances that he did on Thursday night. So if you're a Giants fan, I think that you have to worry about this team and how poorly coached they are. I think that you need to be concerned about what you've seen from this defense over the past two weeks. But I think you have to feel really optimistic about Daniel Jones. I think you need to feel really good about what you're seeing from Sterling Shepard. And if you're a Washington football team fan, look, they might be the team to beat in the NFC East. Because you look at all of the issues the Cowboys have. They lose now Randy Gregory for the foreseeable future. They've lost Michael Gallup for the foreseeable future. They're banged up up front. They lose Lyle Collins to a suspension. Dallas is in really rough shape, and I think the Eagles looked really good in their opener. I loved what I saw from Jalen Hurts. Devonta Smith made an immediate impact, and they might have the kind of dominant players along both lines of scrimmage to challenge Washington, but I don't think they're better 
than the Washington football team right now. I think that the football team are the team to beat in the NFC East. And if they get back to the postseason and they get a home game, and if Heineke winds up playing like a top 15 or so quarterback in this league, look out. They're going to be a tough out. On the other side, we'll chat with Mark Schlereth, get his thoughts on the first week of the NFL season, what he's going to have at his tailgates for this football season. And a little bit later on, we'll chat with Devin Gray of the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. And of course, football season is in full swing. And there's nothing like a good old-fashioned tailgate to cheer on your favorite NFL team, your favorite college team. I know I'll be heading up to Happy Valley for the whiteout on Saturday, Penn State, Auburn. Who better to talk about all your tailgate recipes, how to tailgate from home, and lend his insight on this upcoming NFL season and the week one we just witnessed than three-time Super Bowl champion and seasoned chef, Mark Schlereth. Mark, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today. Oh, absolutely, Matt. And it always starts with the television set, right? LG OLED, the C-Series. I'm telling you what, the best-selling premium television series in America. I've got the 83-incher behind me. Uh, 8 million individually controlled pixels for the blackest blacks and the deepest, richest colors. Whether you're watching the game or you're gaming after the game, um, I'm telling you what, it's a viewing experience like none other. A picture so stunning, it feels like you're at the game or even better, in the game. 48 inches to 83 inches, that's LG OLED. And then the Echo Flow's Delta Portable Power Station. Power anywhere you need it, inside and out. Quiet as a church mouse, solar-powered battery. You can charge up to 13 devices as one at once. From your big screen television at the tailgate to your mini fridge to your griddle, you name it, your crock pot, you can do it. And then how about introducing a new lineup of tailgate treats thanks to my friends at Spam Brands. Speaking of crock pots, I tell you, there is nothing better than the Spam um, meatballs. And I, you know what? I love the Spam meatballs. They're delicious. They're so sweet. You take it right out of the hot crock pot, put it in that bun. And I'm telling you what, it is heaven in your mouth. Nothing better. I love the Spam fries as well. You want to talk about fries, eat and feel like a fry, but uh, there's zero carbs in there. That's the Spam fries as well. And then you finish it off with a Smirnoff because nothing says Homegate or tailgate like Smirnoff. From your vodka soda to your Moscow Mule, Smirnoff number 21 is perfect for that. And they've got the great seltzer as well. Red, white, and berry. The can turns blue when it's cold and ready. They've got something for everybody at Smirnoff, but make sure you drink responsibly. And that's how to home gate or tailgate the right way. I love it. I think I'm going to need to pick up a case of the Smirnoff for the tailgate this weekend. And as we uh, you know, undergo renovations in the home office, that LG OLED TV I might have to get the 80-incher behind me because if I'm watching the games and I'm dialed in on Sunday and I'm watching Mark Schlereth call the game, I got to see the best picture. And I see it behind you there. It's incredible. I might have to get me one of those. I'm telling you, it is absolutely amazing. I've been sitting here marveling at the between the breaks going, you know, I need to talk my wife into one of those as well. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going to put it, but uh, I'll find a place for it for sure. I love it. And I just want to get your thoughts on week one. It certainly was wild and a lot of implications in some really big games. You had major momentum swings in Detroit, San Francisco, Cleveland, Kansas City, that furious second half comeback by Patrick Mahomes. What was your wildest overreaction from an overreaction Sunday after week one? 
Well, I think obviously that uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't care about football anymore, and he uh, is mad at the Green Bay Packers because he's going to throw games, um, you know, which is insanity, right? I mean, I, I tell you what, um, you know, you take an off season where you have some issues with the organization, and you're not around for OTAs, you're not around for the mini camps, and you come back to camp. It's disrespectful to how hard football is to just think you're going to go out and play great now. That on top of having to travel down to Jacksonville for that game, uh, that on top of when you talk about the Saints, and I've done, I did three Saints games last year, top to bottom, they have one of the best rosters in football. They have all pro players at every level of their defense. They have all pro offensive tackles, pro bowl guards and centers. Uh, Alvin Kamara is an all pro player in the backfield. I mean, they are a loaded roster. And I think that's one of the things that kind of is, is a huge overreaction. The, the Packers will be fine. Aaron Rodgers will figure it out. He's going to be fine as well. But uh, I think we all tend to get uh, too caught up in the one, the week one dramatics. I, I will say this, though. I called the game in New York between the Broncos and the Giants, and it was phenomenal. It was so cool to be back in the stadiums and to have fans back in the stands. And 82,000 of your closest friends, right, packed in there together, just experiencing the game, that sense of community. But I, I'll tell you, talking to players before the game, the players, I think, were actually more excited than the fans to yeah. have the fans back. They just were like, last year was so sterile. It was like, uh, you know, it was like uh, playing a Pop Warner game last year. So they were excited to have the fans. I think oftentimes you take it for granted what the fans mean in, in that environment. And um, I think the players learned a very valuable lesson there. And Stone Shepard brought up a really interesting point after the game that as it kind of got out of hand in the fourth quarter, he could see the fans heading to the exits early. He could see that they were leaving. And Joe Judge brought it up after the game that it's their responsibility to give the fans something to cheer about. I know you were in the building at MetLife Stadium what do you make of the Giants situation? Because you look around the NFL and you look at Kyler Murray, same draft class as Daniel Jones. Looks like he made the leap in that season opener, right? They dropped $45 million guaranteed, the Giants do, in Kenny Galladay. And through the first 45 minutes, he has one catch. Daniel Jones with another fumble. What do you make of what's going on in New York right now? Yeah, well, I think they've got an elite-level defense. And I think it's a defense that uh, obviously – held the Broncos to three points on Sunday in that first half up into the last 228 of that game and total ball controlled by the Broncos. But you can't rely. I mean, football is complimentary and you've got to have an offense that can produce. And, um, you know, it's, it's always funny to me because we think we can just throw, you know, we think we just throw draft picks at offensive linemen or go get a guy off the scrap heap at, at free agency or whatever the case may be. Um, and that is to me, the most skilled position in football. And, yeah. and it's, it, it's interesting because I talk to people about this all the time, you know, name one other sport, one other position in any sport where unlike athletes meet or match up against one another. And the guy who's on a lesser, uh, is a lesser athletically gifted guy is the guy that is expected to win a hundred percent of the battles. And if he doesn't, he stinks and the other guy goes to the Pro Bowl. Like there is no other sport. Like when you're matching up a, a tight end with a, you know, you're matching up with a like athlete, like in a, in a safety, right? You're matching up a corner to a wide receiver, like athletes. You're lining up, lining up the worst athlete on a football field as an offensive lineman 
with, you know, some of these guys turn a corner, they're, they're four, four, 40 guys that turn the corners and rush the passer. And you're expected to win hundred percent of those. And so, uh, you know, the, the detail that it takes, the coaching that it takes, um, that is legitimate. And I don't care how good Daniel Jones might become one day. If you can't produce a running game, you can't produce consistency. You can't design explosives off that running game. Daniel Jones is going to struggle and he still has to grow. He has to grow in being able to get off the front side to the back side, know where all five eligibles are, quit holding the ball so long and essentially protect the ball when he gets hit. All those things are true, but offensively, um, they really struggled. There's no question about it. And you're really not going to fix it no matter how many wide receivers you throw at the issue. Um, that That's not going to fix the issues at hand. And you bring up dominant offensive line play and those elite athletes on the other side. Chase Young is one of those elite athletes. You can make a case that he has a potential to be the defensive player of the year this year. But Rashawn Slater, drafted in the first round by the Chargers, he comes out and looks just like an absolute mauler against Chase Young last week. Is Slater the best rookie lineman to enter this draft? And where do you stack him up over the last two incoming classes of offensive tackles? Well, you know, I mean, I think this is one of the things that that Dave Gettleman gets a lot of grief for in New York is he took Andrew Thomas with the fourth pick overall and it hasn't necessarily panned out to this point yet. And then you look at the rest of that draft with Worfs playing for Tampa and winning a Super Bowl and playing really well his rookie year. I think uh, I think the kid in Cleveland, um, the name escapes me right now, the left tackle in Cleveland. Um, Jedrick me, Wills. Yeah, Jedrick Wills, thank you, was yep. was phenomenal, uh, just phenomenal last year with his movement skills. So uh, he was great. Yeah, Slater, to me, was incredible in that game. And, you know, from an angle standpoint, from a changing of the set standpoint, from a coming off the ball and just mauling people standpoint and sustainability of block standpoint, when I went back and watched that game, um, just incredible what he was able to do. And it's been a problem with the chargers for quite some time. So like they're another one of those teams that you look at and you say, Hey man, if uh, you know, if they can fix what ails them, if they can fix, uh, they can fix themselves. If they can just stop being the chargers. Right. I mean, it, like, <laughs> like that's the, they thing. Have the Justin Char- Herbert. That's a great right, first right. step, right? Well, the chargers are going to, the chargers are going to charger, you know, they're, they're going to find a way to miss a field goal or to, to screw botch a snap or something along the way. And it looked like they were going to do that again at the end of that game. And, uh, and they found a way to win that game and an incredible, uh, incredible game. And Herbert is a phenomenal young player. So hopefully they turn the corner, but you're right. Slater looked great. Yeah. I think Herbert has first team or second team all pro potential in his career. And, you know, based on what we saw through week one and everything we saw through the summer in camp, Who's Mark Schlereth's sleeper team? Who's the team that comes out of nowhere, defies expectations? I surveyed a handful, two dozen players, coaches, executives going into the season for fan-sided season preview. They mentioned the Broncos, your former team. You saw them on Sunday. Are the Broncos that sleeper team? Or is there somebody else that jumps out that you think could really have a strong year that nobody's talking about right now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the Broncos have a chance to be much better. Obviously, really tough division. AFC West, everybody won in that division. And even with, as well as Teddy Bridgewater played, and he was great in that game against the Giants, if you look at that division, he's still the fourth-best quarterback in that division. So it's hard to be a sleeper when you have the fourth-best quarterback sitting behind Mahomes, sitting behind Herbert, and what we saw Carr do on Monday night. So that's a really difficult, tall task to ask. 
Um, I look at the, you know, the NFC West as well. Um, shoot, if the season were to end today, you'd have the MVP of defense and Chandler Jones and the MVP of offense and Kyler Murray. Incredible performance. It was a beatdown uh, in Tennessee. Incredible what they were able to accomplish in that particular game. I think the Niners are one of the most loaded. Uh, I think the Niners are one of the most loaded uh, talent-wise um, rosters in football. And and I'll tell you, going through and studying this this during this pandemic, during this off season, and talking to probably a dozen teams, there was not one team that I talked to that wasn't studying the Niners' run game. Wow. Um, and what the and the what the Niners do. Every team I talked and I, I legitimately talked to twelve teams about their running game, and I consult for a couple NFL teams in the running game as well. And um, and every one of them said they're studying 49ers film. So I think that's a team that because of drafting Trey Lance and because of you know the injuries to Jimmy Garoppolo, that a lot of people aren't giving them a lot of credit or don't really really under don't truly understand how great Kyle Shanahan is when it comes to play calling and uh, and coaching his football team. You talked about scheming the explosive plays off the running game. That, that's the gospel, according to Kyle Shanahan. That that's what they do in San Francisco. And even with Mostert out, it seems like they just keep churning. They just keep chugging away. And you're right. I think the NFC West has the potential, just like the AFC West, to be two of the more competitive divisions in football because of the coaches and because of the quarterbacks yeah. they have out there. I'm telling you, I'm so excited because I've been saying for years and people just look at me, kind of scratch their head. Matthew Stafford is an elite quarterback that has played no in a horrible, in a horrible, let's just call a spade a spade. He's played in a horrible organization that didn't understand how to win, that didn't understand how to build a culture or how to build a football team around him. One thing about Sean McVay, and he'll tell you straight up, um, we're a spread, we're a power run team uh disguised as a spread football team that's what we are and so Sean McVay is one of those guys that wants to give you the illusion of spread the illusion of complexity the illusion of uh, uh, formation and motion and and fly motion and and changing you know changing of personnel groups or changing of um of formations through motion and then he, all he really wants to do is beat you over the head with a running game and Matthew Stafford, he's had 1,000-yard rusher, rusher in 11 years. It was Reggie Bush that had like 1,003 yards or 1,005 yards or something ridiculous like that. So Matthew Stafford goes to an organization that understands how to take pressure off the quarterback, to be in situations where you get to throw it because you want to throw it as opposed you have to throw it because you've got another, no other choice. Uh, Matthew Stafford is going to be phenomenal, and the Rams are a legit Super Bowl contender in my mind. I agree. I think they could go to the NFC Championship game maybe maybe further. Mark, let's switch gears before we get out of here. I'm heading up to Happy Valley for the whiteout game. We'll be in the lots at 8 a.m. for the 7.30 kickoff. We're there all day. People listening to this podcast are probably heading in the car, driving to tailgates to games on Sunday afternoon. What's the menu this week? What do I need to have on the menu at Penn State Auburn? And what do people need to pack the car with to go to the NFL games on Sunday? I obviously it starts with the LG OLED series TV, the C series. Check that out. Echo flows, Delta portable power station. Nothing worse than when all of a sudden you're out of power, right? Your phone doesn't work. 
You can't power up the mini fridge or the TV. And then all the classics, the spam classics, check those out. They're awesome. Smirnoff as well. And uh, listen, I would give you all the websites, but if you can't figure out websites, uh, I, I really can't help you. So uh, just figure it out and go see all those things and enjoy the games, man. Drink responsibly. Enjoy the games. Have fun. There is nothing like football to me that brings a sense of community, a sense of togetherness more than football does. It's like uh, every Saturday or every Sunday is like a little uh, Thanksgiving feast, man. I love that. Uh, that's one thing I love about football. So enjoy the games. All right. And before I let you go, which fan base is toasting the Smirnoff on February 14th, 13th, whatever it is, Super Bowl Sunday? Who is celebrating a Super Bowl championship and hoisting the Lombardi in, in February? Well, listen, I don't want, hey, man, I'm a AFC West guy, so I don't want to see the uh, Chiefs be there again. So let's go Buffalo. They deserve, like the Buffalo deserves an opportunity to be in that game again after losing those four straight back in the 90s. So I like that. And then uh, as far as the NFC is concerned, oh, gosh, there's so many deserving teams. Um, Does anybody beat Brady? He looked like he was 24 rather than 44 last Thursday night. Dude, he is 24. I mean, <laughs> the guy's the world's greatest American. And I love Tampa Bay. I, the, you know, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of close connections over there as well. But uh, I don't know, fresh blood, maybe the Rams. Who knows? You got it. He's Mark Schlereth. Check out the OLED TV. Check out the Smirnoff cocktails. Get yourself some spam. Load it up in the car. Get to those tailgates this weekend. Mark, this was a pleasure as always. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. You got it, Matt. Take care, buddy. That really was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to guys like Schlereth who have been in the trenches and know what it's like to be in the battle on Sunday afternoons. And I think he's right about the Rams and about the 49ers, but they're just two teams in a very wide open NFC West right now. What an absolutely wild first NFL Sunday in the wild, wild NFC West last weekend. And I know that everybody talks about overreaction Monday and reading way too much into what happens during week one when you talk about projecting out the rest of the NFL season. But I got to tell you, what we saw out of the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Los Angeles Rams, I don't know that we're talking enough about all four of these teams being legitimate Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. I don't know that we can completely rule out three teams from the NFC West making the postseason. And I know that they're going to beat each other up. And if they're that good, it's going to be really difficult to win 9, 10, 11, 12 games in a 17-game season to separate yourself. But holy moly, you look at what they did. And I'll just start with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals, a game that I watched a pretty significant portion of last weekend during the early window, not only is it obvious and apparent that Kyler Murray has made the leap after being the number one overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft, but he looks like the type of quarterback that you can continue to build a Super Bowl caliber team around, and the Cardinals might be a team that surprises a lot of people and ruins a lot of people's seasons on their way to an NFC championship game berth and maybe more than that. I mean, you just look at the stat line. 289 yards passing, four touchdowns through the air, one interception. He was absolutely dominant in the running game as well. There were times during that game where Kyler Murray looked like vintage Michael Vick out there. And you have to remember, the Cardinals did this on the road. They went into Tennessee on a hot September day in Music City against Mike Vrabel's Tennessee Titans defense. 
let's be clear here. People were talking about the Tennessee Titans as a possible Super Bowl team. You look at what Mike Vrabel's defense has been able to do the last couple of years, and that's been a little bit of the Achilles heel. But they go and get Bud Dupree. There was a lot of talk the Titans defense was going to be improved. It didn't look improved against the Arizona Cardinals. It looked like the Cardinals were able to exploit all of the weaknesses in the Titans defense because of their speed. And speed kills in the NFL. And on Sunday afternoon, it wasn't just Kyler Murray's speed. It wasn't just Chase Edmonds out of the backfield. It was DeAndre Hopkins going off for six catches, 83 yards, and two scores. Christian Kirk got involved on the road in a hostile environment against a playoff caliber team. That was a statement. That was an absolute beatdown. And on the defensive side of the ball, we all talked about going into the year, the Chase Youngs and the Marcus Peters and the Jalen Ramseys and all the familiar names as potential defensive player of the year winners. Chandler Jones comes out and introduced himself into the conversation. Chandler Jones entered the NFL defensive player of the year chat. Five sacks. The Cardinals sacked Ryan Tannehill eight times. Look, I don't think it's an overreaction when you do what the Cardinals did to that team. That wasn't against Jacksonville. That wasn't against Houston. That wasn't against the New York Giants or the Philadelphia Eagles or the Chicago Bears. That was the Tennessee Titans, a Super Bowl caliber team. I really believe you need to start talking about the Arizona Cardinals as not only a playoff team, but more than that in the most competitive division in the NFL. But they're not the only team. You look at what the Seattle Seahawks did. Russell Wilson, the perennial, let's just name the award after him, the September NFL MVP, the Russell Wilson honorary MVP of September. He goes out and makes a case for that award. 254 yards, four touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, you want to talk about a wide receiver giving a defense fits with his speed? Tyler Lockett goes off last week, four catches, 100 yards, two scores in Indianapolis. Same with the Tennessee Titans. The Colts had some Super Bowl buzz. They were the number two ranked passing defense last year. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks made them look like the 20th ranked defense in 2021. And they're only going to get better from here. And I look at, you know, you want to talk about alarm bells sounding? You want to talk about teams that should be worried? The Tennessee Titans have to go to Seattle. They have to compete with the 12s this week, coming off a blowout loss at home to the Arizona Cardinals. The NFC West can go 2-0 this week. The Seattle Seahawks can against the AFC South if they can replicate what Arizona was able to do against Tennessee. And if you're 2-0, that's a great start. That's a launching pad in almost every other division. I don't know if it's going to be in the NFC West because of how good and how stacked they are. And Matt Stafford. Let's not forget about Matthew Stafford. We've talked about it you know, ad nauseum that they can be a team that surprises a lot of people. They should be in the Los Angeles Rams should, the Super Bowl conversation, because of everything they've built around Matthew Stafford, because of the fact that this is easily and far and away the best supporting cast that Matthew Stafford has had at any point in his NFL career. It's the most talent that he's ever played with on offense. They have talent, of course, at all three levels on defense. You start with Aaron Donald on the front seven, arguably the premier player in the entire league, with Jalen Ramsey, arguably the premier cornerback in the entire league. The foundation is there for the Los Angeles Rams to make a real run. The, the, the pieces are in place with Matthew Stafford, a fringe Hall of Fame quarterback as it is, joining up with an offensive genius and a head coach in Sean McVay. And they just go out and they, they lay the gauntlet in week one. And he just goes off. Matthew Stafford wins NFC Offensive Player of the Week. You can make a very strong argument for Kyler Murray taking home that honor after the performance that he had on the road at the Titans. 
But Stafford, no slouch, and very, very much deserving of that honor. 321 yards and three touchdowns, a 156.1 perfect passer rating. You start stacking performances like that on top of one another, and you're going to be tough to beat. And we've gotten through this entire conversation about the division without talking about the team and the franchise that might be best built and best suited for sustained success. That's the San Francisco 49ers. And I know that they took their foot off the gas pedal. They very nearly let Dan Campbell have an early signature win with a comeback win by the Lions. But they they closed the door. They, They took their starters out. They took their foot off the gas pedal late. I think they learned a lesson there. And it's not college football where style points matter and you have to run up the score. But you look at the San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan, an offensive genius, should be in the conversation for Coach of the Year as long as they're giving that award out. You look at the fact they have Jimmy Garoppolo. They have George Kittle at tight end. They have weapons galore on offense. They have a great offensive line. They have Nick Bosa on defense. They have a stout defense from top to bottom. And you want to talk about Super Bowl windows? Not only is San Francisco in the mix to go to and win a Super Bowl this year, but behind Jimmy Garoppolo, you have Trey Lance. You have a quarterback who you chose in the top three picks of the NFL draft that if and when you believe that Garoppolo is not the answer, whether it's week eight this year, week 12 this year, week one next year, Trey Lance has all the tools. You you saw it in the preseason, his ability to read defenses, manipulate defenses, make every throw on the route tree, maximize the supporting cast around him. You have a quarterback. You can build your next level and your next era of Super Bowl runs around. So I look at the San Francisco 49ers, and I can make a Super Bowl case for them. And I know people are probably pounding the table and screaming, oh, you're overreacting. Not all of those teams are that good. I think they are especially when you look around the rest of the NFC and you talk about Super Bowl hierarchies, there might be three other teams in the conference that you can make a definitive Super Bowl case for. One of them, of course, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, all 22 starters coming back and then answering the bell against the Dallas Cowboys last week. I'd put the Cowboys in that mix in the NFC if Dak Prescott continues to play at that level. He might push for 5,500, 6,000 yards if he plays at that level in a 17-game season. But now you're without Randy Gregory. Now you're without Lael Collins. Now you're banged up up front. Now you're without Michael Gallup. There are issues there with the Dallas Cowboys. The Washington football team, we'll see what they wind up being. They have the defense in place and some playmakers. The Green Bay Packers, it's... You know, now or never time against the Lions coming into Lambeau this week without Jeffrey Okuda. But to lose 28-3 to in the opener to Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints, there are real question marks there. And that's why I don't think it's an overreaction to point to what's happening in the NFC West with the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the 49ers and say that those four teams outside of Tampa Bay might have the best chances to go to the Super Bowl of any team in that conference and in the cases of the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray just now in his third NFL season you look at the 49ers with Trey Lance waiting in the wings behind Jimmy Garoppolo those two teams have windows that you can prop open for three five years longer than that because of how young their quarterbacks are and how dynamic their supporting casts are so now and into the future we need to pay real attention to the NFC West and not just because it's the most competitive division in the league, not just because it houses three or four of the best teams in the NFC, but because they might have the blueprints and they might have the foundations in place 
for prolonged success and prolonged competition for the Super Bowl. Another team that could be in the mix for the Super Bowl, if not this year, in coming years for sure, as long as Lamar Jackson's the quarterback, it's the Baltimore Ravens. And on the other side, we'll get a glimpse into the Baltimore Ravens season and just a really tumultuous training camp that led into the season opener in Vegas when we chat with Devin Gray, a Ravens practice squad wide receiver, next right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, and this should be a lot of fun. Joining us right now, Baltimore Ravens practice squad ride receiver, Devin Gray, coming off one of the more exciting Monday Night Football games that I've seen in a long time. And Devin has a really cool story about how he wound up in the NFL. You can follow Devin on Twitter, at Fly Gray. But when you follow him, make sure it's at F-L-Y-Y Gray. There's two Ys on the, on the fly. I mean, it's a great saying, two Ys on the fly. Devin, thanks for joining us. How did you come up with the two Ys on the fly? What made you go Fly Gray with two Ys? Um, well, honestly... The, the regular fly gray was took on Twitter, so I had to accommodate, you feel me? I had to add extra Y in there. But uh, the fly gray just came up, uh, and they called my dad fly, and then everybody was calling me fly junior growing up, so I kind of just took over the name growing up from little league to high school, and then I just I just kind of kept the uh, little tradition going. Nice. Two Y on the fly. It's got to be a nickname moving forward. Yeah, I like that. I might got to steal that. <laughs> there you go. You can borrow it for sure. Hey, for so, sure. so, you know, you're watching that game the other night and just the range of emotions in the fourth quarter. You, you think Lamar has it won. You wind up in overtime. There's the turnover. Derek Carr marches down the field. What was that like watching that game unfold? Man, it was... Like you said, it was just a, a whole roller coaster of emotions, like just from what we thought was a game-winning drive to, to them coming down, uh, getting that field goal with only 34 seconds on the clock with no timeouts. And then the, the overtime where the game was was thought to be over when um, Edwards dove in the end zone and then they called that back. And then we got the interception and then it was just all type of emotions going on. We didn't really... I've never seen anything like that. I mean, everybody was on the field, thought the game was over, and then just trying to lock back in and go back out there and play was crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think about where these two teams are, right? Because you guys in the AFC North, I look at it as a two-team race between the Ravens and the Steelers. You have all four teams in the AFC West win last weekend. So just a really wild and crazy start to the NFL season and certainly on the AFC side. But Devin, I want to talk about your journey to the NFL because it's really interesting and unique journey. You stand out in the spring league. You wind up in training camp with the Baltimore Ravens. You're on the practice squad now. What's it been like for you climbing that ladder? Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely been a journey. Um, I started off with the Falcons, and then I was on their roster. I was cut a few times, brought back a few times. And then 
this this last season I, I finished on the active and then I didn't get re-signed. We had a new coaching staff and then kind of just sitting around not knowing what's next. Uh, I didn't have any interest off the initial signing. So um, I ended up just going to the spring league. I never, I never really heard of the spring league before, but uh, Alex, my agent and I thought it'd be just, it, it kind of be like a no brainer. Cause I'm, I'm not doing anything anyway. So I might as well go out there and just Get keep my tape. name. Just, yeah. Get, get some tape, just sit, stay relevant. I know, I know there's, there's always more receivers coming in. So just staying relevant. So then um, that ended up paying off. Um, Ravens called me. Uh, they, they they signed me instantly after I think it was like the third or fourth game. And then I came on late OTAs about end of June. I only had a few practices. And then I just tried to make the most of my opportunities when it, when it came uh, to training camp preseason. Just came in every day just trying to make the most of my opportunities. And I, I would say I did that. And, you know, from a player's perspective, you go from having a taste of the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons, you get on the field, you wind up in the spring league to kind of restart your career and revamp it. Now you're back in the NFL on a practice squad. What's the biggest leap that a player has to make going from a league like the spring league where you got a lot of hungry guys just trying to make it to being in the NFL? What's the biggest gap and the biggest difference between those two leagues? I would say the biggest difference, um, everybody's athletic and, and competitive. I think the difference I noticed between the two leagues was just like the attention to details, whether it's technique-wise or just game plan-wise. Um, like everybody's athletic. Like people would probably think there's a, a drop-off in athleticism in the spring league, but there was, there was good DBs, good running backs. There was a lot of people that used to be in the league that are trying to get back, like just me. And there was, of course, there was some people that just never had an opportunity. So I would just say more just like more more coaching and more just technique. Like there's a lot of guys that, that are there just straight off athleticism. Like they haven't been taught the right things. So I would think that's, that's, that's just like the biggest gap. And, you know, you never want to see a guy get hurt, but you wind up in camp with Baltimore and then Rashad Bateman goes down. You know, how devastating was that to the Ravens wide receiving core? And, and just how disappointing was it to see a kid like him, a first round pick go down in the way that he did? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely it was definitely sad and tough. I mean, I, I, lo I love Rashad. He's a hard worker. He's, he's a great player. Even like from day one, when I saw him, I was like, he's going to be really, really good. Like he's just he's so talented for like for coming in just like right off the start, just having in. Uh, like a, a good effect on a team like he's he's a, he's a nice person he want to be great and then um just when he, he went down with the injury I, I could just tell instantly it was bad so I just I, I felt bad for him but I know I know how hard of a worker he is and I know he, he's going to come back even better so I, I think I think it's a blessing in disguise because now he's able to just sit back like learn learn the offense like watch like guys like Sammy and just learn the game so when when he comes back he's he's, he's going to just take off whether it's in Atlanta where you had Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley or now in Baltimore where Rashad was there a first round pick and you, you have Hollywood Brown in the mix there Des Bryant was there a year ago who are some of the receivers that have taken you under their wing or who have you looked at in practice and said okay I want to be like that guy and I want to pick up that move in his game and try to put it in my skill set Oh, for me, man, that's uh, Calvin Ridley for sure. Uh, we came in the same time, uh, just just from day one. Like I, he was, just, I instantly saw him, and I was like, "Dang!" 
whatever he do, like, that's what I'm trying to do. And he was like, like, that's, that's family to me. Like he would always tell me little things. I would, I would try to tell him little things. I just, I just watch him, like just watching him run routes, just his, his creativity. It, it, I would say it, it helped me grow the most at receiver. And I'm just, I, I was very blessed to be in a room with him and obviously Julio, but Red, Red especially, I, I try to model my game after. I was going to say, what makes him elite? Because you look at what they just did in Atlanta. You had Julio Jones, you, you, you know, trade him away to the Tennessee Titans in a lot of ways because they're so confident in Calvin Ridley. What sets him apart and, and how high do you think his ceiling is for, for his career? Oh, his ceiling is unlimited. Uh, he's, his, his, his creativity. Uh, I mean, obviously everybody knows he's a, a great route runner, but with route running comes creativity, making things look, look the same. Um, obviously he has elite speed. Um, just his, his hard, he's a hard worker. Like he's never satisfied. Like he's very competitive. So even though he had a great season, I promise you, he's not he's not satisfied with that last season. So he wants to he wants to do even better. So just his his competitiveness, his creativity, is basically just being a dog out there, just trying to be great. And he's going to be great for a long time. And, and your first training camp this summer, I guess, will be your second training camp because you went through camp with the Atlanta Falcons. But you get to Baltimore, and right before the season, there's that devastating practice where. Marcus Peters and J.K. Dobbins go down on consecutive plays. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. I've covered the league for almost 10 years, covered a lot of training camps. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like two star players going down with serious injuries on back to back plays like that. Just what was that like for your team and for you guys watching that happen on the practice field? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've never seen anything like that either. Um, it was just it was just like devastating like the whole the whole atmosphere was just dead like every 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 bit of life in the on the on the practice field was just sucked out like we didn't know how to we didn't know what to do like what to say like we all just came in and just did a a team prayer because that's all that's all we could do just do a do a team prayer pray for those guys um but we you know we ain't got no choice but to just pray for those guys and, and, and bounce back like we can't let that hold us back like nobody feels bad for us. So we're just going to come out. It's always a next man up type system type league, really. So everybody just got to be prepared for their, for their opportunities. And, and I know we will be. For sure. What was John Harbaugh's message to the team? Cause I know that you guys stopped practice right then and there. Um, but, but how did John Harbaugh, how did your head coach react to that? What was, what were some of his comments to the team? I mean, he's, he just brought us up, you know, he just, Everybody was was uh, speechless, like we said. Like even even coach was was speechless. We just brought up, we did a a team prayer, and then he just he, he let everybody go, just kind of clear our minds, and then that was pretty much it. We did our our little prayer, and then just had to clear our minds. You know, it's it's like it was, it was it was so shocking. There was nothing that could really be said at that time. Oh, oh, I'm sure. And, you know, the best best goes out to those guys and they're going to be back and eventually they'll be better than ever. But it's just really disheartening to see star players or any player go down with an injury like that. And, you know, for a kid like you, Devin, I, I don't think that a lot of people listening to this podcast give too much thought to guys on the practice squad. Uh, but what's something, uh, you know, that NFL fans who watch on Sundays and, you know, might listen to a podcast here and there, What's something really unique about life on the practice squad or in your day-to-day that might surprise NFL fans? Um, I would say 
I mean, a lot of people know we just like, of course, we're doing all the practicing. But I mean, it's just, it's not as easy as, as a lot of people think. Like, we just, like, we don't get a lot of the same privileges, I would say. Like, we just go in, we just do our, our daily work, and we basically just wait for our, our opportunity. Like, sometimes opportunities come, sometimes they don't. But either way, you know, we got to stay locked in and ready because at, at any moment, anything can happen, and we just got to be ready to, to fill in, whether whether it's for a practice or or sometimes it might be a game. Like, sometimes we don't we don't know if we're playing until the, morning the day of. before the game, the yeah. morning of, like – like, but we got to try to stay locked in and prepared as, as if we are playing because you don't want to just be shocked and then you're not ready for your, for your opportunity. So is it the practice squad guys or just the rookies that have to bring the crab cakes for, for the road trips or make the, the Dunkin' Donuts run and pick up the coffee in the morning? Uh, is that just a rookie thing or, or do you got to like stop by nah. Dunkin' or Starbucks on the way to the facility? No, nah, that's just for the rookies. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely just the rookies. There you go. Well, you know, Devin, whether it's the Ravens or, or another team looking for receiver help, what's Devin Gray's best attribute? What's the best part of your skill set that you hope shows up on the practice film for your coaches right now or that maybe a scout or a coach around the league saw during preseason? What do you hope is their takeaway when they watch Devin Gray play? Uh, I would say my my versatility um, and and my ability to to get open. I, I play inside, outside. I play. I run every route in the book. Um, uh, my releases off the line. Uh, I'm versatile at special teams. I was I was returner this year. I was playing gunner, blocking. Or I was rushing punts. I I try to do a little bit of everything. So I just I try to be as as, as as versatile as possible because that, that's the, obviously the best way to get on the field. And I try to be able to fit whatever role the team may need to, to help us win. I love it, man. Versatility is the name of the game. He's Devin Gray. You can follow him on Twitter at FlyGray. Two Ys on the fly. I'm going to look for that on a sweatshirt <laughs> at some point, my man. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you further up the road. And best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good stuff there from Devin Gray. Really hope this kid gets an opportunity because he has all kinds of talent. Average 15.2 yards per reception in his college career at American. He got on the field for the Falcons. He's on the practice squad now for the Ravens. I'll certainly be watching him and hoping that he gets his chance to shine. And, and when you look around the NFL this week, there's some really great games on tap. Dallas and the Chargers is a really good game in SoFi Stadium. You get Justin Herbert against Dak Prescott. Dak goes off against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers last week. Comes up just short of a knockout win on Thursday Night Football. Justin Herbert leads the Chargers back to an overtime win. He goes for 337, a touchdown and a pick. And you watch Justin Herbert last week, and I really think that he showed you that he has the potential to be a second-team All-Pro I think he's that good, and I think the Chargers have a really bright future because of him. And Kansas City-Baltimore, that's a really sneaky game because after that loss to the Raiders, it's now or never time for the Baltimore Ravens and for Lamar Jackson. And that's the primetime game. It's Sunday night. The Chiefs are coming off that really grueling, come-from-behind win against the Cleveland Browns. Really physical game against a really physical team. Two teams that could really well meet again in the AFC Championship game. Can they ratchet it back up on the road? We'll see. And, and sometimes it comes down to which team needs the game more. Baltimore desperately needs this. You can't fall to 0-2, especially when you look what Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the Cincinnati Bengals did last week. 
pulling off a big home win in a, in a game that they didn't really have a lot of business even being in against the Minnesota Vikings from a roster talent standpoint. But that's a sneaky good team in Cincinnati. If Joe Burrow can be a top 10 quarterback in the league, and I think he has that kind of skill set, you'll get Jamar Chase big response to all of the criticism for those preseason drops and a really rough training camp with his first touchdown catch. You still have Tyler Boyd. You still have a really dominant defense. And this week, maybe you see Justin Fields against the Cincinnati Bengals in Chicago. You saw him for a moment as kind of a chess piece out there and and an opportunity to change it up and try to spark something with the offense. Maybe you see a more expansive role for Justin Fields, especially if Andy Dalton struggles. And he was just, let's call a spade a spade here. He was terrible. He was pathetic. Last week in Los Angeles against the Rams, didn't even try to push the ball downfield, didn't even try to get Allen Robinson involved. There's too much talent in that receiving core and on that offense to just continue to waste away with Andy Dalton. Maybe you get Fields versus Burrow for part of that game. I'll certainly be keeping an eye there, but maybe the biggest game of the weekend, and it's a sneaky big game if you ask me, it's Buffalo at Miami. Because the Dolphins come out last week and just in thrilling fashion go up to Foxborough, knock off Mac Jones and the Patriots, and the Bills, boy oh boy do you have to answer back if you're Buffalo after losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in the opener. Offense really kind of streaky in that game. And give credit to the Steelers defense, give credit to TJ Watt. That was just a dominant performance, especially late. But this is a sneaky big game for the Bills. Because if you want to talk about, and we touched at great length on the NFC West, look at the AFC West. The Raiders, thrilling win. The Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things last week, coming back and beating the Cleveland Browns. Maybe their biggest threat on the road to the Super Bowl, if not Buffalo. The Bills now have a must-win game against the Miami Dolphins because you can't fall to 0-2. You can't fall to 0-2 in conference play. And two is kind of feeling himself after going into Foxborough last week and winning that game. Buffalo doesn't historically play all that well in Miami. And you saw how the South Florida heat and humidity has kind of played with teams and messed with teams, especially Green Bay. This is no easy game for the Buffalo Bills. They have to be careful here. Because if you look at what happened last week in the AFC West, they're going to start to run away from Buffalo if they're 0-2. And if the Bills have any designs on hosting the AFC Championship game, if they even make it that far, it's a must-win game in Week 5 against the Kansas City Chiefs. But they got to take care of business in this game to make Week 5 matter. So it's going to be a great NFL weekend, a lot of really exciting games. And again, another one to really keep an eye on is what happens with the Seattle Seahawks against the Tennessee Titans. That's a barometer game for the Tennessee Titans. They absolutely have to have that game against the reigning September MVP, Russell Wilson, who's coming off a great performance in his own right against another AFC South team. So a lot of great games ahead. I can't wait to break them down all next week. Thanks to Mark Schlereth for joining us on the program. Really enjoyed breaking it down with him. Great conversation with Devin Gray. Thanks to Michael Zach and Cole Thompson for producing this week's program. I'm Matt Lombardo. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And please, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to the Apple Podcast Store to the Stacking the Box podcast. Leave a five-star review to Stacking the Box and mention 
the Matt Lombardo Show. And enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy Sunday's games. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.